just Bethany. I think I could come here and, well, no, that's not true. <laughs> no, I won't say it. Tonight, I'm going to, I think, <laughs> I'm going to deliver a message that you might want to just uh, take your offering back. You, 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 ha- you, you have to judge what I'm saying tonight. You've got to judge it from the scripture. You've got to judge it prophetically. And I won't blame you if you walk away angry. Um, but at least you'll hear what I believe God is saying. Maybe a little bit more light right here. <laughs> Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 14. I don't know how long I'm going to go tonight. Someone might fall out the window and die. But we'll just raise him from the dead. Chapter 14 of Ezekiel, to me, is a profound passage. I don't think we understand. I I, I know we don't understand. The power of a man or a woman who stands in a place of intercession that can affect the whole nation. Just one person. I believe in the ecclesia where two or three are gathered. But not much is said, at least that I hear preaching, of the power of one man that can shift a nation. Chapter 14, then the word of the Lord, verse 12 came to me saying, Son of man, if a country sins against me, by committing unfaithfulness, and I stretch out my hand against it, destroy its supply of bread, send famine against it, and cut off from it both man and beast. Even those, the, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in its midst, by their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves. This is an amazing passage that God, in one sense, it shows the bad news that the nation had gone so far that even these three men couldn't turn it. Basically, what the scripture is saying is, if there were some go-to guys that could change a nation at the very last hour, these would be the gods. This is a major statement that God would actually mention Daniel when he's still alive. Usually the guys that change, that are spoken about are the guys in history like Job, one of the oldest men in the Bible, and Noah, the ancient Noah. All three of these guys are named as blameless in their day. Noah was blameless in their day. What a statement. That the whole flood... The destruction of the globe hinged on one man, come on, who stood in a place blameless in his generation. Or Job, in the very council around the throne, where the angelic Bene Elohim, the angel angels involved in the rulership of the nations are gathered, and Satan himself comes and stands before the Lord. That's not just 
That's, that theme is throughout the whole scripture. And the Lord would say, of all the men in the earth, have you considered my servant Job? That in the midst of angels and with the satanic being himself, God would say, this dude, have you considered him? That is a statement of high value. Of the place a man could stand. That God would actually mention his name to Satan. And said, he's blameless in all his generation." I wonder if WikiLeaks hit all of our websites. We're looking to, pointing the finger at Donald Trump because of his wickedness. I actually believe that Donald Trump is a sign that's exposing what the church is because we get the government we deserve. We point the finger at a leader, but the leaders of this nation are the people. I think God's getting his own WikiLeaks out. Could I stand blameless before a generation if God did WikiLeaks in my own line? I tell you, brothers and sisters, I've had seasons, moments of failure. I confess it. I want to tell you I stand blameless before God in victory. But in those dark seasons or those dark moments, I know these men stood blameless. I tell you, I want to be a man like this. That if no one else stood for America, I would. That I could stand before the Lord on behalf of this nation. A whole generation's gotten jaded on it. I can't afford to be jaded. I've got grandchildren. No, you didn't get that. I can see young people get jaded on America. Wait till they start taking your homeschooling away. I can't afford because I've been called to be an intercessor for America. But Derek Prince's book, Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting, he wrote it in 73 when abortion was legalized. And the whole book is about how prayer and fasting shifts governments. And that God wants leaders that can actually rule in such a way for the blessing of the church and for the ending of shed blood. Brothers and sisters, government is not a byword. I want to say to you, there's no, we're not looking for a man or a woman to, for, we're looking for Jesus Christ. We're looking for the man, Christ Jesus. I am looking for the greatest revival. Don't point the finger at me and say, I'm a white wing, whatever, white, right, probably am. I'm a revivalist through and through. And I've come here unjaded concerning the promises of New England. You could give it up. I can't afford to. It's my vocation. My vocation is a prophet intercessor. At times, I actually believe I could stand before God alone and still have a say as to the future of this nation. And I'm not boasting of myself. I boast only in the righteousness of Christ. But I also know that years of standing with God, I believe he builds confidence in our souls that we have access to the very courtroom of heaven. I, don't, I, I, I want to say tonight, 
that there are many people have been, become jaded on government. The fact is, there's reason to be jaded. But government is an ordained institution by God. It is temporary until Christ takes up his full reign. It is temporary and it is flawed. But nevertheless, it is ordained by God. So if it's ordained by God, you've got to understand what is the reason for which it was ordained. Because you see, you can get revival and you can have government that restricts the freedom of the church to preach the gospel. So your revival actually can be restrained by government. I'm not saying in the midst of persecution the church shouldn't thrive. It should. But we shouldn't be begging for persecution. You ask those people dying with ISIS if they want that kind of government. Why is government ordained? Turn with me. Let me give you one more passage. Turn with me to 1 Samuel somewhere. <laughs> Chapter 7. They're holding the call in this chapter. They gathered at Mizpah, they drew water, they poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted on that day, saying, we have sinned. That was the call. This is an Old Testament Mizpah call. Sons of Samuel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. I took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered and now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to battle, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on the day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed. Is this powerful that a prophet says, I will not cease to pray for my people. And then he offers up a, a, a burnt lamb. I, I can't help but thinking what Brian Kim started in 19, in whenever that was. 2004, the Daniel fast. I wonder if we've been open. Lifting up a burnt offering of the lamb for just 12 years. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and sin revival. I wonder if God's going to give a thunder to the blood over this nation. Over the last 12 years of pleading that blood. I don't know, but I can't believe that that word wasn't from God. And I can't believe that I would have a government that would legalize continuously up to the day of birth the shedding of innocent blood. And you would vote for them? Look at this. The Philistines were all stirred up and they came to fight. Verse 13, the Philistines were sub sub subdued and they did not come anymore within the border of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. That is a stunning passage. That one man in an intercessory role would actually keep the Philistines away. His whole life, come on, his whole life of intercession. Folks, that is stunning. I believe God's calling Daniels 
Noah's. I believe he's calling Samuel's and Job's to a place blameless before the Lord. I'm not saying imperfection. I am saying that their hearts are aligned with God in obedience. What he tells them to do, they do. Obedience is not a side issue. I got an assignment to pray for President Obama. It was so costly, I didn't do it. And I wonder what is the fruit of our nation because I didn't pray for him. You say, that sounds like megalomania. Well, read the Bible. Men stood on behalf of their nation. And they could hold back the Philistine demonic spirits all the days of their judging of that nation. To me, that is profound. Give us an intercessor in New England. Why is government ordained? I'm talking about two things tonight. I'm talking about revival and government. They go together. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I was going to name this. Who do you vote for when two candidates are both wicked? It's, it's really not a joke. It's funny, but it's not a joke. The fact is, again, Winky Prattney says, we get the government we deserve. That's because the church is filled with immorality. The church is filled with lying. The church is filled with self-promotion. The church is filled with, with self-protection. When a brother and I, brother had planned this big gathering and I said I would walk with him and it all fell apart. And so he had to write a letter saying it's not going to work. And as the leader of the call, I, I, he wanted me to send that late letter out. It was humbling for him. And I sent the letter out and then I said, and it wasn't the call's administration that was behind this. I wounded my brother because, see, I wasn't being covenantal. I was protecting myself. You didn't get that. Self-protectionism over covenant loyalty and faithfulness. First Timothy 2. First of all, say first of all. That first of all does not mean in order. It means, as I remember, proton, the word is, first of all, in priority and importance. Anybody says that the elections don't matter, they don't know the Bible. Because kings, according to Paul, preaching to Timothy, he is saying, son, set the church in order, and this is what you do when you come to church. First of all, pray for all men. We don't gather for a party. We gather for an ecclesia. Prayer movement to dominate the future of the nation. So many people feel like dominion's a bad word. Well, just read Daniel. In the midst of the most wicked kings, Daniel is demonstrating the testimony of God's dominion through fasting and prayer and a superior intelligence. I've said this, intimacy moves God's heart, but dominion gives him honor. Wouldn't it be awesome if God shook Harvard? 
because a professor got radically converted from the philosophy department and beginning to preach the gospel. Because there were some Daniels that were praying for him underground that God would give him dreams. That's Bible, folks. Daniel's not an anomaly. He shares the same time period we are. The times of the Gentiles. When the Gentiles took over the rule of Jerusalem, God was shifting to the kings of the Gentiles. And in this, in the most, in Babylon, folks, Babylon pre-shadowing the last days Babylon. Daniel is a pre-shadowing of the last days Babylon. And in the last days, because we say, share the same, same time period, the times of the Gentiles, what it means is what Daniel was to his generation, he was not a pro, he was not an anomaly. He was a prototype of a generation that would come who would de- demonstrate the dominion of Christ. I'm not taking, I'm not saying full dominion over nations. I'm saying demonstrating the God of Daniel. To Antichrist system. Ah, come on. I've been in Daniel, all airplane. Flying here, just living in Daniel. Maybe I'll preach on it sometime tomorrow. First of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of men. And then he says, he gets specific, listen to me. For kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Wow! What's the significance of that scripture? The significance is this. God wants good government that releases an atmosphere of peace so it doesn't restrain the church from preaching the gospel. Time out. You probably never heard this. Good government is to create an atmosphere, roads, language for the gospel to fly. That's why we need good government. You've got to ask yourself, when you choose someone in an election, you've got to ask yourself, Where does that man stand in relationship to the church? I'm not asking about a man's character. A man's character depends so much. But in this situation, we have got to discern by the Spirit what's going on. We've got to discern that which will allow the third great awakening to flourish and send millions of missionaries, hundreds of thousands of missionaries. People say, well, you know, we're going to get our revival either way, Hillary or Trump. I got to say to you, I believe that's true. I believe we're going to get revival either way. What I don't know is if we'll get a student volunteer missions movement because of a government that restrains and keeps the church locked up. In Australia, I just heard today, in Australia, what's that? The situation, they have just made a law or something that you can't preach, you can preach the gospel only in the church, but you can't preach it outside. This, this is the coming encroachment of government. When Donald Trump stands with Mike Pence and says we want to end the gag rule of preachers, that they can preach anything they want to, even if it's about government. You've got to look and see 
The thing that's taking place in California where government is actually now a bill, as I understand it, is seeking to impose the teaching of homosexual philosophy on Christian colleges or else they lose their accreditation. Folks, if persecution's coming, the church will thrive. But I don't think it is God's plan for us to pray for persecution. It's to pray for government that allows the gospel to fly. It's to preach the government so that we can keep funding, not pay all our taxes to government, and fund those kids that want to go by the hundreds and the thousands to the fields when the revival's breaking out and when it's already now. I don't believe that necessarily there's going to be a student volunteer missions movement unless we get Cyrus and revival. I'm going to go somewhere with all this. Let me go to Psalm 94. By the way, have you stopped praying for government? Thank you. One person hasn't. It's interesting. The very people that are most jaded on the elections are the ones that aren't praying for them. And they're disobeying God. And I put myself in that category. I stopped praying for President Obama. I sinned against God. I've repented. And I said, God, i got to come back to my roots, shaping history through prayer and fasting. You can, you can abandon your line. I cannot. When I was in 1999 praying, how can I turn America back to God? Holding gatherings of young people, up to 4,500 kids, praying for a John the Baptist movement that would prepare the way for a Jesus movement in America. That stadiums would be filled. And I call a young man out in a rumble with 4,500 kids. He's an Hispanic kid. I have no idea who he is, but my heart is grabbed by this. I call him out and said, come up here, son, and pray. He roars Hispanic in Spanish, and the place erupts. Little did I know that he would go home to a woman and say, you need to connect with this guy, Lou Engle. Her name was Willie Wald, the woman that funded the call that came to me and said, have you ever thought put kids in the mall? I'll give you $100,000 to start it, and the call was born. What are the... What are, what are, that sovereign connection. I was praying, how can I turn America back to God? Can I afford to be jaded on it? Can New England afford when this is the very place where the Constitution was formed and formulated? You say, well, that Constitution, that's, that's not man's, do that's not, you know, the African-American's document, and it's not the native document. You sure hope it is. Time out. You didn't get that. You hope it's their document. You hope it's their covenantal document because it says that all men have rights given by God. The problem is not the covenant document. The problem is the men who did the document. It was the sins of those men, the breaking of covenants, the shedding of innocent blood. Brothers and sisters, I feel God is going to judge this nation on the basis of our Constitution. In fact, a dream was recently given by Christina Sabastinas. If you know her, Christina Sabastinas is a gal that did the covenantal deal in D.C. with, with 400,000 that gathered together. A young lady just lives in, the, in a realm in God. You know her. She's awesome, and she's a prophet to me. The amazing prophetic stuff that she's given to me. And recently she had a dream. And in the dream, she saw a huge celebration going on in Washington, D.C. And they were celebrating throwing off the laws of God. 
It was a party and a festival of joy. I just read something the other day by a professor in America who's asking the questions, now what should we do to the church, the loser of the culture wars? I thought, oh, 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 you don't know God. And he advocated persecution. This is the conversation in the elites of culture right now. Folks, I hear a rumble of revival. I hear a third great awakening. It's still the bones are rattling underneath the ground here. She had this dream that all of D.C. was celebrating their rebellion. It was a massive party. And in the dream, they're all getting into buses to take their party out to the nation. But in the dream, she stepped into a bus. It was all filled up. She looked down the center aisle, and right in the center aisle in the middle was a young lady with a black T-shirt, black hair, black T-shirt. And she knew in the dream that she didn't belong there, and she shouldn't have gotten in there. And she was a disruption to the whole movement. She was in the gap. And her t-shirt said, Ingle, we the people. I know what it means. Right now, I'm in the season of intercession, one of the rare seasons of my life, that I'm pleading that God would judge this nation and separate on behalf of the covenantal document of this nation. I don't know what you thought about that. Ingle, we the people. First lines of the Constitution. It's a covenantal document. For a, a, a natural peace, people, we've just received dreams that we're to be pleading the covenants of our forefathers. I tell you, I am so filled with confidence because I feel we're in a Daniel moment for a third great awakening. Because I'm pleading the promise of Jonathan Edwards because of the dream, the word that had come to me in the 90s when I was preaching. I know many of you have heard it. I was preaching at a youth church. I told nobody I was going to preach on. I didn't know them. And I was going to preach this. God's going to show mercy to the youth of America because of the great, 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 great grandchildren of Jonathan Edwards. And just like David showed mercy to Jonathan because of his covenant. And showed mercy to Mephibosheth, a crippled generation. So too God is going to show mercy to a crippled generation of kids who are the great-grandchildren of Jonathan Edwards that God made a covenant with. I don't know about you, but I'm in that place right now before the throne of God. And I'm saying, it's time, it's time, it's time for third great awakening. Are you praying for those in authority? A woman... We had the dream. I was preaching in Alaska recently. A young 21-year-old girl got up. And she said, you're talking about dreams. I just had this dream this week. In the dream, I was in the White House. I saw Hillary Clinton and I saw Donald Trump in two rooms. And in the dream, I saw Donald Trump weeping and broken. And in the dream, I, didn't really, I, we, I knew we didn't know his heart. And in the dream, and in the dream, he was reading the Bible and he was reading Ezekiel 22:30. I look for a man to stand in the gap 
stand in the wall? Are we pointing fingers or are we in intercession on behalf of a nation right now? Listen to me. Are you just in natural conversation arguing or you are taking it to a higher throne of which God says he's king of kings and lord of lords? He rules through his church who prays or have you abdicated the dominion of Christ in every sphere of society? Well, it's all gone, so let's just preach the gospel, go to the lost, end this thing, and get Jesus back. I'm telling you, Jesus hasn't abdicated one piece of terra firma to the devil. If you have an eschatology that speaks negatively, that at the last days it's all going to fall apart, you probably have a right eschatology. But until then, the Bible says occupy till he comes. And that doesn't mean sit in your seat and do nothing. It means take ground for the kingdom with the gospel in government. See, Daniel is a governmental man. John the Baptist is a governmental man. Both of them fast. Both of them fast. And both of them in Daniel 1.17 and in Luke 1.17, it says this. And Daniel received understanding and wisdom from God of interpretation of dreams. Ephesians 1.17. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. You might receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation. John the Baptist, the spirit of Elijah would be upon him to turn the hearts of the Father. Brothers and sisters, we've got to get to a higher place of revelation so we're ruling from the celestial realm rather than just natural talk. Arguments. Somebody get in the heavens like Samuel. Someone get in the heavens like Daniel. And see if me might be a time of a mighty shifting in America. I'm trying. I'm, I've been fasting with a company for a month and a half. And we're getting dreams. We say, well, we've heard the prophecies. They've never failed. Well, they always fail. It doesn't turn out. I want to just say this today. I don't understand all the, uh, the prophecies that seem to don't come true. And I think we should address that. But I refuse to be jaded on prophecies. Because if you're jaded, you'll, you'll not hear God. You'll shut off the lens of what God is doing right now. Do not despise prophecy. Some of you are despising prophecy because you haven't seen it unfold. You thought the way it should. It never does. But in the end, God is the God who has the spirit of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus. I'm preaching to New England. We need some patriots again. Not patriots in terms of a, of a people that wave their flag. I, I, that's all good. I'm talking about those who love a, a country that has given them the freedom to preach the gospel. I don't mind the guy kneeling down in the football fields and protesting. I think we need to hear a loud shout from heaven on the issues of bloodshed, on the issues of African-American injustice, on native injustice. But I want to tell you this. If you don't love, all oh, your prophecy is like a gang, clanging cymbal. I can just hear the conversation. What do you think of the con? What if God tuned into your conversations? Yeah, look what that Trump said. And I got to admit, I got to be careful myself. What's going on behind closed doors? And Hillary's, I don't know. I just know this. I think it's a severe mercy that Donald Trump would be exposed. Because of the dream, I'm praying that God would humble him. 
and he would weep and find God. Maybe it would be a severe mercy if God just exposed all of our internet. Maybe we should not be pointing the finger at them because the government is pointing the finger to us. If my people will humble themselves and pray. Filled with noise, internet, Facebook, sports. God is redefining my Nazarite call again. I hear it again. I just turned 64. And I, 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 I haven't lived in this place for years. I'm finding I don't want to live sucking up all the pleasures of this life that my conversation is low life. Where Wesley said of the Moravians, I lived among a people whose conversation was in heaven. I'm hoping out of this meeting there'll come some guys that will dedicate their life to interceding for and not just having a prayer meeting that will lay their life to walk blameless before God, to stand in the courtroom of heaven and deliberate with heaven as to the future of New England. Turn with me to Psalm 94. See, in times like this, I don't think you've... You cannot vote, but then you're not doing your governmental duty. And I'm not talking your governmental duty is something that you do in the United States. You are the government of the nation. We the people. I've said it before. When you go into a voting booth, you're not going there with a decision or a choice. You're going into a voting booth as a prophet. Like Elijah warning Ahab, you better not shed innocent blood. You better not kill babies. I told you you wouldn't like me after this. But hopefully there's some searching going. That we're not just caught up in the hubbub. What do you do in a case like this? Do you know when Paul was praying, saying, pray for those in authority? Nero was the emperor. The most perverted, wicked crucifier of Christians. You have no excuse of who's in government to shape their future by your prayers. And if you're simply talking about it and not praying, you should just shut up. I, I, I'm just trying to be nice. <laughs> the fact is, we get a government we deserve. In this case, obviously, we have real problems. I want to say today, I don't stand on a foundation of man right now. I stand on a foundation that I believe is the word of God. Psalms 94 is a defining passage to me. I haven't preached this for years since being with Brian and the Bound for Life. And I actually got jaded on government. And I would just say, the only hope is revival. Can I say, the only hope is revival. To change the hearts of men. But if we get also righteous government, maybe not righteous, but government that stands for the freedom of the church and doesn't shed innocent blood, we may get a day of change in America. I don't know, but I'd rather go down swinging. 94. 
I feel like we've got a whole generation that is confused on justice. I want to tell you, God's heart is filled with compassion. It's the key to his heart. But the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. There is a plumb line. We've had dreams recently of a plumb line being dropped. There is a plumb line of righteousness and a measuring line of justice. Listen to me. The plumb line is the law of God type of deal. And the plumb line, that is vertical response to heaven and his ways and his truth. And the, the measuring line is how we relate and make rules and government toward our own brothers. Horizontal justice. Let me give you a case. It might sound compassionate to say to a woman that's in challenging situations that it is justice for her to have a right over her own body and abort her child. Ever heard that argument? Two of you. Come on, have you ever heard that argument? It sounds okay, which it really doesn't, but it sounds. But if you put the plumb line of thou shalt not kill, your measuring line cannot be skewed. It's not true compassion, it's not true justice, it's righteousness. So we got this whole sexual confusion. Everybody's getting their rights. This is, the, this is the, the, the theme of America. It's freedom. But it is freedom under law. It's foundations of truth so that your compassion can have a plumb line. Does this make sense? I believe that government should be ruling for the poor. Have great compassion for the poor. But I just want to just say this. I am asking God for a businessman's prayer revival. It happened in 1857. The church, the government was never called. It was called to keep order and peace and not use the sword in vain. That means you terrify the evildoer. Don't, don't look at me and say, well, Lou, you're just so mean. No, it's the Bible. Ask Paul. We need to have that compassion, but we need a, a, a plumb line concerning our sexuality. The government was never given the job to take care of all the poor. The church was meant to have a revival that we would open the coffers and build hospitals and build social programs and fathering movements. Come on, would you pray with me? Father, I pray. We're getting all kinds of dreams about Joseph's coming. Father, we ask for Joseph's that will lose funds to the church and that you would open up the, the houses and the, and the bank account, the billions in the church with such an outrageous display of compassion and rebuilding anointing. Father, we ask, raise up a businessman's revival that looses the coffers of billions for the inner cities, for the native peoples, for pregnant mothers and all this, for orphans, God, we're crying out. Psalm 94. I'm going to stick with this a little bit. Verse 20. Can a throne of iniquity 
be allied with you. Or another word is, can a throne of iniquity have fellowship with you? What is a throne of iniquity? It says right here. Which devises evil by decree. Because a throne of iniquity is a government that makes decrees that legalize evil. Do you, are you with me on that? A throne. Can you have fellowship with a government that legalizes evil? Now in this case, who knows? I'm just trying to discern God's ways and will. Then it goes specifically in the scripture to the two dimensions of the legalizing of evil. Read it with me. They band themselves together against the life of the righteous. The kings of the earth, they band together. They take counsel together. Let us get rid of his bands. Let's get rid of his feathers. Let's throw off the laws of God that are for the beneficial rule of nations. Let's get rid of his ways. They band together. There's a conspiracy. There's a collusion in hidden places. The George Soros of the world are funding wickedness in high places. Folks, we're talking demon powers. We're talking about nations where principalities and powers do rule. I tell you, the church's vocation is to make known the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities like Pat, like Daniel, where whole Persian prince rulers over kings are shifted in one man at age 83. Oh my gosh, who are we? Give us Samuels, Noahs, Job's, and Daniels for a day like this. It's what it says. They devise evil by decree, and they ban themselves. Number one, this is the two dimensions of their evil decrees. They ban themselves together against the life of the righteous. In other words, they're against the church. Thank God. In the book of Acts, under the power of the Holy Spirit, God shook the government of Herod because he started messing with God's apostles. <laughs> you know, people, you know, Jesus is so nice. It would never kill a king. Oh, I, this probably shouldn't go on. It said, and... and an angel from the Lord ate Herod with worms. Read the Bible. How do they know it was an angel of the Lord? We are so thick in our humanistic view. We can't even see angels. We can't see God removing kings, changing times and seasons. Go read Daniel chapter 2. He's a teenager, and Daniel's doctrine is this. He raises up kings. He brings them down. Nothing is hidden from his sight. The darkness is light to him. He changes times and seasons. Oh, Daniel's doctrine was a doctrine of the reversal of demonic decrees. The whole book of Daniel could be the book of Daniel, the, de the, the reversing of, de of demonic decree. God rules is, <laughs> God rules is the theme of Daniel. I would say in the days of Babylon that's encroaching and coming, I am looking for testimonies of dominion so powerfully. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and a fourth man comes. Listen, this isn't a generation seeking to get to the top of their mountains by compromise. 
You get to the cup, you get to the top of your mountains by giving your life up. Refusing to compromise. And if we die, we die. And then if God promotes us, he makes us the head of the home magicians and sorcerers and witchcraft dudes. Go read it. Daniel was promoted above all the enchant. He became the leader of the psychic union of Babylon. It says it there. I tell you, there's coming Daniel's. And the Daniel fast is not going to be an anomaly. What, da- what Brian Kim did, 2004, four years, no meats, no sweets, and has shaken the abortion world and launched adoption movements and, e- and raised up Supreme Court justices and everything. I want to tell you that that day is not done. There's coming a whole army in the universities of Babylon and New England who are going for a higher revelation, not just feasting on the bread of success and the bread of pleasure. Oh, but they want the bread of heaven. There's coming a generation who will say, I'm not content to just have a little drip of influence in Harvard. Look at it. They band themselves together against the life of the righteous. Number two, they condemn the innocent to death. These are the two dimensions of governments that you can't have fellowship with. They're going to stand against the righteous. They're going to encroach on the freedoms of the church. And number two, they issue decrees legalizing the shed of innocent blood. You have fellowship with those kings by voting for them. When you go to a voting booth and you vote for someone who decrees the shedding of innocent blood up to birth, You will be held accountable as one of those governments. Therefore, you kings, be warned. Tremble, you judges of the earth. I'm just saying God rules. If he can find a Daniel who can stand in that place and move heaven. Oh, would God raise up intercessions. I direct my my final plea in New England. When we've come here, with dreams that Chris saw the welts on the foreheads of the Ivy League students and says, this is, ivy, this is poison ivy. What was meant for the healing of the nations has poisoned the minds. A dream doesn't come that to tell you the bad news. A dream comes it to give you faith that the original intention of New England was to be the he- leaves that heal the nation. We start praying in faith, looking rather than how negative it looks. We frame our future by prophesying a new redemptive movement out of the. Ne- ne- and if I die, if I die thirty years going after neurosis, I refuse to bail out on the prophecy. Because I believe Joseph can come. I believe another man can come. My ancestors. Or descendants, whatever that is. They'll come. They will most certainly come. Because there's angels in the house. And by the way, we believe God wants us to go after stadiums across America. And I'm burning to come to Boston with that green, big green monster field. I believe the days are coming when we're going to jam that place and signs and wonders and miracles. 
and a worship team magnifying God. This is God's land. Why not? Why not believe? Let's say, well, you know, it's stadiums, stadiums does, you know, what's the big deal? What? Stadiums is not everything. But I want to just say something about stadiums. What happens in stadiums, it creates a whirlwind of prophetic activity that a message can go out because everybody's getting caught up in the whirlwind. Azusa now, it caught up worldwide. Number one Twitter worldwide that day. What was going on? God was famming the flame that there's a new day coming of a Jesus movement. Stadiums, Billy Graham's mantles coming on the nation. Bob Jones has prophesied that the awakening man is rising out his head out of Cleveland. We're going, we're, we saw immediately after Azusa dreams of Panther Stadium in North Carolina. And we were standing there, and it was Billy Graham, and it was a new day of awakening. We're believing for this. What are you believing for? So much pessimism. So much jadedness. Well, go ahead and die in the desert, but as for me, I'll be like Caleb. That believe that dreams are spies that tell us what can be if you have faith and are willing to risk. Come to this last moment, this moment. And brothers, it has to be judged. I'm trying to live my life in the light of being obedient to what I sense is the prophetic word. Isaiah prophesied a man named Cyrus would come. And he would be a prophet. I mean, he would be a king that would let the people build his house. I want to say Cyrus was a wicked man. But he was girded by God. God had chosen him. At the same time, the choose, when Babylon falls and Cyrus becomes the king of Persia and rules over Babylon, at the same time, the 70-year period of Jeremiah's prophecy comes true, which means we're going to have a jailbreak. There's coming, we're coming out of exile. The Lord showed me recently, both of those things were needed. You could have had a stirring. What are we looking at? Everybody's like, angels? Hey, can you, lean, can you lean in with me on this one? It says that the Spirit of the Lord stirred the people to go home and build the temple. In other words, it was a revival. But if you didn't have Cyrus, who was issuing the decree, the revival would have gone where it was meant to go. Do you see what I'm saying? Where revival and government were meant to go together. And Daniel is the prototype of intercession that moves both of them. I am right now, I'm in a 70-year period. 1946, a book got in my hands. Atomic Power Through Prayer and Fasting. It became the textbook of my life along with Derek Prince's shaping history through prayer and, and fasting. 
It was 1946 that book came out and began to prepare for one of the greatest seasons of harvest, signs and wonders, the healing revivals. 1946, the fasting breaks out. 47, a man named Oral Roberts goes into seven months of fasting and the healing revival breaks out of Oral Roberts. We're going to Tulsa, the next place we're going to go. And it will be 70 years. And we're saying, God, give us another healing revival with the gift of faith that's in the middle of the church. We need faith. To cast out demons. And this kind of faith comes through fasting and prayer. 1947. Healing revivals break out. 48. The latter rain outpouring takes place in Kenna. They were reading the book. And the grace of fasting rested on their company for three months. And then the breakout of the gifts of the Holy Spirit start in the latter rain. They understood them by their own name. That they were a fruit of the fastings of Joel chapter 2. And after the fast, I will send you the early and the latter rain. They understood that they were somehow the fruit of the fasting movement. They said, without God, the message of Franklin Hall, that revival never would have been impossible. Never been possible. 1948, the, the latter rain begins and... 48, Israel becomes a nation. Timetables, you know the times and seasons by what happens in Israel and what happens in the church. 1967, 1967, the, seven, uh, the, the uh, Jerusalem is brought back into the hands of Israel for the first time. 1967, the charismatic movement breaks out. The Catholics receive the Holy Spirit. We're 50 years going into the next season. I believe we're in a cycle of 50s. It's jubilee. It's time for another jailbreak. It's Daniel 70. Maybe. You say, Lou, how do you know? I don't know, but I'm hunching. <laughs> so when I get that dream given to me in 2009, when I'm going to the woods with my friends to fast 40 days on water, which I made almost. And right before I went out, I had the dream that my belly was being operated on. I woke up and I said, God, are you trying to make me a Daniel that you would operate on my appetites so I could have the kind of authority that he had to shift nations in fasting and prayer? In the middle of the fast, prophet lady from Kansas City emails me, says, I had a dream last night. In this dream, I saw you and you were, in this, uh, you were fasting in this place and you, uh, and you were sleeping. And in the dream, five angels came into your bedroom and they operated on your belly. And they took the book of Daniel and lit it on fire and sealed it into your belly. And then all these young people begin coming to you with their t-shirts said the sons of thunder. There's a prophecy of the sons of thunder that a whole army of musicians are coming who would play their blue guitars behind the curtain. They weren't looking for a stage and that God would pull the curtain and they would be and their and their instruments would be would be plugged into the ancient Vox machine of the Beatles. And it would read a, reap a harvest and they were called the sons of thunder. Come on, why doesn't someone pray with, I'm praying for that right now. Loose sounds that will reap a harvest better than the Beatles. See, that's what you do. You pray your prophecies. I feel we just live our lives in low life, not inspired because we treat the prophetic word as some kind of little suggestion. You frame your future by the prophecies spoken over you. By your dreams, what you speak. 
And if they don't turn out for years, well, hang in there. Because Abraham gets his promise after 25 years. And Joseph gets his promise after 13. Come on, New England. They're bones of revival under the ground. Jonathan Edwards Covenant. Ivy League school student missions movement. This is enough to light a fire in someone's soul for the next 10 years. That's why you keep going. The prophecies of Bradford and all this. Listen, God is so able to baptize you in confidence with stories that can only be him. You're going to listen to their stories. Listen, we got to get our own stories rather than let everybody else tell our stories. I, I, I sensed that that prophecy was about a jailbreak that would come. And that I, was a da- I could be a Daniel in that hour. I feel, I don't know, but I feel like I'm in an hour. For an ungodly ruler to release a decree of freedom. To preach the gospel. And, and end the gag rule. And not restrain finances. So that our kids can be funded to go to the unreached people groups. I don't think that a student... Prayer, student mission movement is inevitable. I believe it can be restrained by principalities and powers. I believe it can actually be released by fastings and prayers of Daniel in the time when God says it's all shifting. And so I have found myself right now, and this is my prayers for this nation. I feel like I'm in Daniel 9. I'm holding up the covenant of Jonathan Edwards. We had a dream. First of all, the first part of the dream was that we were all being just cut to pieces. It was Judges 19, the concubine being cut to pieces. Folks, this nation, in Psalm, in Psalm 50, it says, but to those who take my covenant on their lips and don't do it, I will cut you to pieces. America is being cut to pieces because of her covenant breaking. It's be, the natives are up in the north are protesting so much pain. The African Americans are, are going through their pain. We're being cut. The babies are being cut. We've cut. We've actually cut the covenant of marriage. When you did a blood covenant, you, the parties would walk through the center aisle of the blood covenant. And we'd split those animals and say, let this be done to us what was done to these, to these animals if we break this covenant. America is being brought to a place of judgment and cutting. But there's an answer. That was the first part of the dream. These four things we needed to pray. The second one was Jonathan and his armor bearer going up in covenantal faith. Just two filled with faith who took the, the stronghold. I feel like God is saying, give me two or threes. Now, you don't have to have big permits. Give me two or threes who have set themselves that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. They need to go in covenant. They need to bring the third thing that we felt like. It was Psalm 132. And, and it was, Lord, remember David. Remember the covenants of our forefathers. And begin to plead those covenants before God. And number four is Hebrews 7. It's about the priest, the high priest, bringing his own blood. I say, it's time to pray again. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival. I am standing before the courtroom of heaven. I don't know what it means. And I'm holding up that constitution. And I'm saying, God, hold that constitution. 
So that everyone can have freedom under God. Not without God. I want to disrupt this party. This is New England's calling. You found your fight at the beginning of this nation. You stood up for righteousness. And now I just wonder. If you could still find in New England. Or are they all just jaded eyes. And can hardly see. Because there's no preachers of righteousness. We've all made alliances. I say it's time for the grace of God to be revealed in a generation. Folks, I've never walked closer, I think, than I know right now to the, the grace of God. I, I know it's pleasure over me. And I feel confident I can stand before him. Maybe tonight, I don't know. But maybe you would say for the next 23 days till the elections, I'm just going to take a season. I'm just going to start praying rather than talking. Why don't we stop the news? CNN and Fox and get a different conversation in heavenly places. Why don't we pray for Hillary? And I found myself praying for Hillary today. When we pray for both of them, when we pray, God, I look for someone to stand in the gap. I'm going to stand and say, God, intervene. Release humility. I almost feel like the whole book of Daniel is like Nebuchadnezzar when he's revealed as that haughty, arrogant man and he's driven out of his mind for seven years. What if Trump just said, I'm a sinner? Forgive me. I tell you, he exalts the horns of the righteous, brings down the horns of the proud. He exalts the horn. What if the whole nation just started humbling itself? What if we did like Daniel 9, he did, when he holds the covenant before God and he confesses the sins of his fathers, his sins, the sins of his nation, and yet, nevertheless, remember your covenant, act and do not delay. Give us a third great awakening. Give us the freedom of the gospel and the shedding of the innocent blood. I don't know. I'd rather go down in faith than those meek, timid souls. Whatever that quote that no, no neither good nor evil, they just stand neutered by Jezebel. Eunuchs in Jezebel's temple with no voice, with no word of authority. Stand with me. I want revival. That's the promise of God to me. I'm gonna... I got promises for my children that are not fulfilled. And I'm agonizing. And I'm saying, I'm shouting to God. My 14-year-old boy, I love him so much, going through challenges. His name's Judah. I felt like God said for 21 days, I want you to take a prophetic word and say, Judah shall praise you. Judah shall praise you. Judah shall praise you. Why don't we get his word back in our mouths rather than complaining? Negative speech we create. Righteous lips produce right things. America has more stuff and more complaining. Oh, God, for New England. I, I'm, I wouldn't keep coming back here. I would because I love Daryl. I love you guys and I love Bethany. I'd come back just for that. But I don't come back. I believe for, for the, great, the great third great awakening. 
I believe because there are promises here. They're just waiting for a generation to not just look back in their history books and say, good, what did they did? They got the great awakening. Give me a generation that returns to their sacrifices and their passions of those forefathers who when they needed God, they started a concert of prayer by Jonathan Edwards. Three things they prayed. Visible unity. Explicit agreement. And extraordinary prayer. I say it's time for extraordinary prayer. I believe it's time for visible unity where we can join with the Baptists and the Catholics and call on God together for an earth-shaking revival with concerts of prayer. I believe that we can have visible unity. This is the land of the covenant. Take the covenant and appeal before heaven. Take that constitution and say, cut away. Cut away that which is not in the, con- that, that, that doesn't line up with that constitution. I want to just say again, African Americans, I believe in the African Americans have the greatest opportunity to lead this nation in revival right now. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. He shook principalities and powers. I believe the African American church has got an answer. It's mass forgiveness. Mass forgiveness from its pulpits. I think any preacher that any preacher that is that it, when Jesus went to the cross and fa- said, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." He didn't ask for an apology first, and he shook principalities. Oh, I believe there's got to be an apology, and I'm working with a gov- with a governor right now who uh, just had conversations for native for the native peoples. I just held a call with the native peoples. I almost feel like I say, don't point the finger at me. I have walked the trail of tears. I've gone through all those blood covenants in Detroit. I've walked with abortion. I've walked with this sexual. I feel like I can stand before the Lord with lots of imperfection. But God, we have stood before you. Now, put a demand on heaven. Answer. I've driven all through New England. And I believe for you. Father, I pray spirit of revival come tonight. Raise up prophets in Babylon. Raise up men and women who aren't living for their own comfort. They're thinking about their grandchildren, not their new television, this big screen television. Or God, their retirement. God, deliver us from this short-minded mentality. Help us to see our children. I want my children's children. I've got three grandchildren. I want them to be able to be homeschooled 20 years from now. And you don't think these elections are significant? Father, forgive us for our blindedness. I am asking for revival. I'm asking for the inner cities. I ask you to raise up William Seymour's at Balo laborers into the harvest with such massive signs and wonders. Can you see it? Come on, just open your eyes at the spirit. Can you see a jailbreak where, where, where Billy Graham prophesied 40 years ago that the native peoples in the beginning of the third great awakening would become the great evangelists, the sleepy. Oh, I'm praying natives awaken to your calling. I know kids. Native kids, 40 days on water, roaring for their people because they've been apprehended by Billy Graham's prophecy. Are you living under the shadow of a dominating prophecy? Are you bored to death? Come on, it's time for repentance to shake out of this stuff. If you need to get up here and pray, I'm repenting. What would WikiLeaks find in the secret places of your own heart? I confess my own sin. I'll tell you, 
I'll tell you, I can stand before God free and clean. But I'll tell you, WikiLeaks is coming to the church. It's called the eyes of God. Come on. If you need to pray, you need to seek God. You need to repent for passivity. Deception. Because they did not have a love for the truth. I gave them over to a spirit of delusion. Judging by what their eyes see. It's time to repent from argumentation and stupid speculations, Paul says, that do nothing. Arguments about elections when we should be in prayer. Preach the truth of God. People might not like me. I'm preaching it the way I saw it. I see it. I've lived it for the last years. It got, it's got to be judged. It doesn't matter to me if you disagree with me. And I'm sure there's all kinds of points you can. All I know is this. I want revival. And I want freedom for the gospel to run unrestrained. And if it's got to come through persecution to purify the church, then let it be. But I'm not asking for that. I'm asking what Paul said. Pray for those in authority that we might have peaceful. I want to, I want to read the, I want to pray what Paul said. What, he was an evangelist. He said, I don't want anybody stopping me from preaching the gospel. God, give us evangelists who will break out of the stupor and give their whole lives and be willing to die. I believe God's going to start raising up the preaching of the gospel in the public places. It's time for courageous men and women. I tell you, it's time. Brian Barcelona, where are you? Are you here? Or did you leave? He might have left. I want to tell you, Brian Barcelona, okay, doors are opening in public schools like crazy. <laughs> Pagan principles are saying there's no other hope. Well, we welcome you in. And there's hundreds of kids in meeting in their, in their campuses in high schools. They're reversing, reversing school decrees and law. We're in the hour of reversing decrees. Daniels. I don't know how to end this thing. I would hate for you to go home and just go back to ice cream. I mean, I wouldn't mind a little ice cream. I'm, try, I'm, not, I'm not being legalistic, please. I love baseball. I love that the Dodgers beat Washington. But I am saying, I think it's time to center our affections. Let's give God what he wants. You shall love him with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. Let's have a worship team. Is God talking to you? We don't, the, the altar call starts right here. It doesn't have to be done here, but I am saying. Judge with what I'm saying. Search the scriptures. Yes, converse with your brothers and sisters, but don't get into stupid arguments. Let's go to a different chord. Who will pray with me? I started. Is there any that have had this deep aspiration? I want to be a Daniel. I want to be a Job. Oh, my brother, my Brazilian brother. A guy like this, he just gives his whole life. He never just stops, never just stops. He's, I think Edson stands in a place of high value before God in this. It's good to see you, Edson. When we brought the call here to Boston, Edson, man, we, we flew over Harvard. We dropped oil, Holy Spirit graffiti. 
I still believe every word that was spoken about Harvard. I still believe it. I still believe it. I believe. Can we just start repenting for jadedness and unbelief right now? Don't look at me right now. Just, Lord, I, what's your lips been? What have you been saying? Daniel would have said, oh, it's too late. 